You know why they say opinions are like buttholes? <laughs> no. It's because everybody's got one. Oh, I got one. Do you got an opinion? I, I do. I dispense opinions all the time. Yeah. And I, we're about to dispense some that are not the opinions of anybody except you and me. That's right. Nor is it advising on the law. Exactly. It's just a bunch of buttholes. Even, even though a lot of the law does come ex rectum. Correct. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile work environment. Hello and welcome to the hostile work environment. This is Dennis. And this is Mark. We're here again in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are taking advantage of the time we have together to record episodes. We do. And we are. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah we're we're also hiding out in a hotel room waiting for the remnants of Hurricane Florence to blow over. Yeah. It, I mean, we're far from, from where the real action was on that, but a uh, pretty heavy rain band just moved through. Um, yeah, but we're... We're Portlanders. We can handle it. Yeah, we can handle a little rain. Did have to come back and change my clothes after lunch. Yeah. A little awkward. Yeah. Didn't quite dress for the weather. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if, there had been, if there had been something on the news that said there was a hurricane in the Atlantic, you know, maybe I would have paid better attention. But, you know, <laughs> of course, as always, you know, the news media just completely failed us. Yeah, fail. Yeah. So I have something to talk about. Let's talk. I have a case involving a guy who may have one of the prettiest names ever in employment law. Oh. This is the story of Leon Laferriere, except he's from Florida. So (laughs) I'm thinking his name's really Leon Laferriere. Fair enough. Okay. He's a veteran who applied for a driving position with a trucking company called CRST Expedited Inc. And he did well. He went through background information, checked out. He went through a truck driver training program in Jacksonville, checked out, did well, passed. The company then told him, I'm sorry, Leon, but you cannot move on to the orientation and additional on-the-road training portions of our onboarding process because you have this pesky service dog. The nerve. The nerve. So he went back to the company and said, look, yeah, it's a service dog. I have PTSD from my time in the service. The service dog is prescribed by my physician to help me with my PTSD symptoms. And my ability to drive is with my service dog is protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. I'm sure he said the words of 1990. Yeah, that's a, I'm sure that's exactly how the conversation went. That's what's in his complaint. How do you think they responded, Mark? Uh, well, we're here and we're talking about it, so they probably said go to hell. They said go to hell, and they rescinded the job offer. Wow. They rescinded the job offer. They didn't just say like, hey, Leon, you know, take it or leave it. Right. No, they said no. No, there's a, no, no you job so for you. You offended Leon. us that you 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 cannot and shall not work for us. So Leon did what so many people do when they have been wronged. 
he reached out to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, and filed a complaint. The EEOC is now suing the truck driving company on Leon's behalf. I would love to be able to say that Leon's story is unique or that it's uncommon or strange in American employment law, but it's not. We see more and more service animal cases. So I thought Leon's case, it's got to be the most run-of-the-mill typical uh, service animal case in employment that I've seen. There is nothing special about it. Yeah. We it sounds see, pretty standard to me. It's very standard. And, and one, given the nature of the work being performed, that should be really easy to accommodate. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk through this. Yeah. So I thought Leon's case would be a good springboard for you and I to talk a little bit about how service animals are analyzed under the ADA and other state laws that follow the ADA and what good employers should be doing when an employee comes to them with a service animal request. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, Mark, how if if you represented this trucking company or you were in HR for that trucking company <laughs> when Leon showed up and said, yeah, I passed all your tests with flying colors, but I want my service dog. How would you have what would what would your first step have been? Well, my first step, because as I think you've noted before on the podcast and I just have to bring that out, I am. And, and I think this this will give me some level of objectivity almost. Um, I am not a dog person. No, Mark I'm not is a not. pet person. I Mark grew up is without not a pet them. person. I'm not comfortable around them, uh, and which puts me in an interesting position as an employment lawyer who might be giving advice on this issue. You know who else doesn't like pets? Uh, Satan. Donald Trump. <laughs> same same, same answer. Okay, yeah. So yeah, uh, so feel free to all you know send me your hate mail. Uh, it's stories at hwepodcast.com. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so given that, you know, I was going to jokingly say, well, I would have made the same decision, but we know, but we know you're you're bigger than that. I am a slightly bigger than that. I did say nice things about Seattle briefly in our last episode, which shows, shows just how big my heart is. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, I would have taken a little bit of a different approach. So tell us about that approach. Well, the first thing I would I would have I would have wanted to just check in on is is there a, a, you know from a legal perspective I want to look at is there an actual disability here does the paperwork yeah. check out right such that he has a qualifying disability that affects a major life activity and that is the first mistake I see people make in service animal cases. I just made that mistake. No, no, oh. that's that's the first mistake I see other people other, making. Thank you. Okay, because I was like, did I did I miss something? No, 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 no. <laughs> you were correct. What you suggested is the correct thing to do, but many people miss it. Right. They see like, oh my god, a service animal. Oh hell no. Right. And they forget that like, oh wait a minute, that there's this thing called the ADA, right. the Americans with Disabilities Act. And before I just say hell no, I should probably look in to see if this person actually qualifies as disabled under the ADA. Because guess what? A lot of people request to have service animals who are not disabled. And that's not to say that every request for a service animal is fraudulent, but I've seen many in my career. So so in fact, I seem to recall, I actually wrote an article on this years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, there were a couple of them. Uh, one was about, about companies out there that do um, – uh, fake references for you. Oh yeah. Um, but then there's other ones. I think out we there. talked about that on the podcast. It's possible. And, uh, but then I've seen another one out there, um, uh, years ago that do basically fake, you know, uh, uh 
you know, service animal accommodation letters. Totally. You can go on the Internet and you can find anything. So so I, I push back on those potentially, depending on the nature of the inquiry. I mean, if it's super easy, then maybe you don't even need to go through it. If everybody else already has their dog in the workplace and don't, somebody, don't get somebody needs a service animal, then like, yeah, just do it. Like if the blind guy shows up with a service dog. Maybe you don't need to request a medical examination. Right. I mean, and <laughs> certainly not that. And it may just be easier just to say, yeah, that's really easy for us to do and not go through all of this analysis right. or, or, or actually thought about it. Right. You just can but, do it. And then there's no issue. But if you have your doubts and it's OK to have your doubts. And, and it's not something easy for you to do or something that you particularly want to do for your workplace. Right. Then it is perfectly acceptable to require that person to bring in a doctor's note. Right. And if you don't buy their internet printed to whom it may concern doctor's note, you can send them to the physician of your own choice. Now, yes. on your own dime. On your dime. But it may well be worth that if you think that somebody got, you know, the um, internet special $5.99 <laughs> service animal letter. Right. So let's imagine, Mark, somebody comes in. They have a service dog. They produce a legit letter from a physician or they come back from seeing your physician and they're like, yeah, this person has a qualifying disability. Yes. A service dog would help them with that disability. Yes. Is that the end of the story? Always. Never. No, never. Ne never. All right. So, so no, at that point, you'd start to engage in the interactive process, just like any other ADA claim. Exactly. Right. And so that's a give and take process, right, uh, where you are looking for reasonable ways to accommodate the disability, whether that's Correct. the accommodation that's requested or something else that's less onerous for you as an employer is remains to be seen at that point. That is right. And that's one of the beautiful parts of the ADA. Somebody very smart wrote this into the law and said, look, the employee is entitled to an accommodation as long as it's reasonable. But it, not necessarily the accommodation of their choice. Right. If you as the employer have something that's that's less difficult for you to, to do to achieve the same effect in accommodating that disability, that's okay. Yeah. Let me tell you a short little story. Please. I had a client that had a customer service type person who wanted to have a service animal. They strongly believed that the reason for the service animal request was because the owner really liked to dress up this very small little dog in holiday-themed <laughs> outfits. So if it was St. Patrick's Day, the owner would have the dog dressed up like a leprechaun. Of course. For Thanksgiving, the dog would be a pilgrim, so on okay. and so forth. Mm -hmm loved the attention that she got by having a little dog dressed up and were completely baffled how this little yappity bark machine was going to somehow perform any sort of service. Right. So when the request came in that this was a service animal, they completely freaked out. But they called me and I got them to calm down. I said, okay, first question, go ask the employee what service the dog is trained to provide. Now, like, oh, good idea. Let's go do that. And they did. And they came back and says, well, it helps her with her diabetes. Oh. Oh, so, okay. Diabetes, that's probably a disabling condition. But that, I want to know how it helps the with the diabetes. There? So they went back. 
they came back to me again and said, well, they're in the process of training the dog to jump down and pick up the employee's pill bottle if and when she drops her pill bottle on the floor and retrieve it. Now, he's not there yet, but she's in the process of working on it. Interesting. That was the function this dog was allegedly trained to perform to help the person with her diabetes. (laughs) I wouldn't be like, show me. (laughs) It could jump down and, well, it couldn't yet. Right, right, well, right. So then it's, but if it can't do it yet, then it's not a certified service animal. animal. Um, <laughs> but nice, nice, and nice try. Here's the problem: it was a yapping little bark machine that would run around going yip 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 and pee in things, which was frowned upon in this particular work environment. Uh, sounds pretty right. normal to me because the owner wouldn't take him for a walk and do all that stuff, and the dog had a bladder the size of a small acorn. Right. So it was a problem. So. Not to say that I had a brilliant idea, but here's where this part of the ADA comes into into effect. I was able to say, okay, the problem here is that this employee cannot bend over to pick up her diabetes medicine when she drops it. So klutziness aside, there's another way to fix this. Go down to the medical supply store down the street. For the sum of $15, you can get a thing called a grabber. Yeah. And present her with the grabber that you're going to buy at your expense because it's 15 whole dollars and say, here you go. Leave the dog at home. Problem solved. Good call. Right. So reasonable it's an ex- alternative. It's a reasonable alternative. Right. And identify the problem. Identify how the service animal is trained to solve the problem. And then look to see if there are alternatives. Many times there are. I had another case where an employee said that their dog was trained to spot when their blood sugar either spiked or dropped. I forget, forgot which. Um, and they wanted to work in an environment where an animal would not have been appropriate. We were able to accommodate that employee through a device that had it sat on your arm and continually monitored your blood sugar levels and then sounded an alarm when they were off. Again, problem yeah, solved. Problem solved. That's good. So right yeah. and 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 this I think that that transitions us right reasonable alternatives are great sometimes there isn't one what if there's not so then you have to go through your traditional is this an undue hardship analysis if the only reasonable accommodation to to accommodate that disability is the service animal itself then you have to look at the nature of your work the nature of your workplace and determine whether it's an undue hardship to accommodate it or not right Right, which, and is that always going to be the case? That it is or is not. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, going to be very much dependent on your, on the style of work, the nature of the, right, what kind of workplace are you in? Right. Um, Do you work in a cat shelter? Right. <laughs> in that case, a service cat is probably okay. A service dog might be a problem. Do you work in, in an area that has to be a totally sterile environment? Right. Are you a surgeon? If you're a brain surgeon and you want to bring your slobbery Great Dane into the operating room to, you know, have it your side so you can occasionally pet him during surgery, my guess Mm, is that we're going to have a problem with that. Probably. Probably. Now, here's one for you. Let's say there is a specific issue with a particular animal. For example, a well-behaved dog who simply sits by their master's side and 
you know, looks up at them lovingly on occasion, but is otherwise quiet and doesn't shed and doesn't drool and doesn't, you know, snap at people would be perfectly fine. But the cur that somebody brings in off the street that's foaming at the mouth, biting people and exhibiting all sorts of antisocial behaviors is not. Can we then distinguish case by case and animal by animal what is and is not reasonable? I think so. I think so too. I mean, at some level, right? I mean, if it's a if the if the dog is certified through some reliable agency, then it might be a question back, right? Because it's, this dog is not meeting the standards to which it was allegedly certified, and maybe then there's an accommodation. Can we get another dog? Which, you know, I don't know how easy or hard that is to do, but if it's too disruptive to the workforce and people aren't able to do their jobs as a result, right? Then maybe it's. Do you have another space where that person can go and, you know, be put with that dog? But then you get into issues of isolation and other questions. And I don't know if that's a possibility or not. It's going to depend on your workplace. No, but Mark, you kind of assume that somebody's going to bring their dog in for a while and see how it goes. But once we do that, haven't we sort of sealed our fate and allowed dogs forever? No, let's try it out. So you can do that. You can try it out on a trial basis to determine whether or not that dog will be a hardship. I don't see why not. Okay. We've spent a lot of time talking about dogs. Yeah. What about other animals? Well, that was interesting. I was going to actually put that back on you. Is if It's been a while since I've looked at this, right? We, we talked about this for about... 30 seconds before we went on on. So I haven't had time to go back and look at it. And I which is 30 actually, seconds more than we talk about most topics. Usually, but it was a little bit of a good heads up just to get my mind in the right place for this. Um, if my memory serves, under the ADA, I think it actually specifically says a couple of animals that are the ones that are, are approvable. Well, <laughs> one is dogs. Yes. And I don't remember if there's more than two, but I do remember what another one is, which yeah. is miniature horses. You're both correct and incorrect. Okay. So you're correct on that it's dogs and miniature horses. Yes. You're incorrect as to what title of the ADA those two animals apply oh, to. Oh, is that oh, – would that be uh, public accommodations to yeah. employment? Uh-huh. So there's there's separate titles Fair of the enough. ADA. I, yes. I, there's, I, yes. There's part of the ADA that applies to what we call public accommodations. That's, for example, a hotel room or a store. That's Right. Things that you as a patron might need access to. They're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of disability either. And the ADA says that for public accommodations purposes, they have to allow service animals. But they define it to mean miniature horses and dogs. Yes. The title of the ADA that applies to employment law, however, makes no such distinction at all. I had forgotten. It's been years since I've had an accommodation issue with uh service animals. And so then it's just comes down to uh, the same analysis that we've talked about for whatever animal it happens to be. So a few months ago, it was all in the news about how some, I was about to say whack job, but that would have been discriminatory on the basis of their obvious impairment. But this individual tried to board an, an airplane flight with their service peacock. (laughs) Do you remember that one? I do actually. Yeah, it was kind of awesome. And people made a big stink about service animals have gone too far and blah, 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 blah. That one in my mind was an easy case because I'd look at that and I'd go, is that a dog? No. Is that a horse? No. No. Then go away. What if I want to bring my miniature horse on the plane with me? Then I think um, we might have a problem. I mean, this gets out of the employment realm, but it's a question like, uh, I don't know how many people actually have 
those miniature horses for their accommodations. I have I, seen zero exactly in my life. zero in my I, whole I'm life. I'm dying to see an accommodation horse. Yeah, uh, the, the the idea of having a service but horse, I think, it is phenomenal. Strikes me as a fairly hypothetical question, but I wonder but, what but I wonder right. what the airline would do if you showed up with your service miniature horse. Now, and I assume the I believe the ADA actually says miniature horse. Yeah. You can't bring in your Clydesdale right. and expect, you know, it's going to sit with it's you. My, it's my service stallion. My service stallion and I will sit in first <laughs> class. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I need, I need a seat for the horse. But um, <laughs> we've seen a rise in non-canine service animals when it comes to the idea of a comfort animal. Right. Which is a very special type of service animal that is designed to provide comfort for people with primarily mental disabilities and primarily those involving anxiety and depression. Right. You might benefit from having an animal that you can pet and that will help calm you down. Um, so I've heard of things like service ferrets. Yeah. I heard of a service snake. I've, I've heard of that too. Um, service cats, service dogs, of course, they can still fill those functions. But under the ADA, there's no particular limit to what it is. I think you do have to then engage in a reasonableness analysis. Right. And somebody might be able to bring in their service dog to the workplace as a comfort animal, but their service tiger could be problematic. Right. Here's another question for you, Mark. And and you mentioned, you t- you touched on this a little while ago. I can go on the internet and buy an orange vest to fit just about every animal. And it has the words service animal embroidered on the side. I assume that if I do that, I can take that thing with me wherever I want, including my job. Right. That's a great assumption. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. What happens when we make, when we assume. (laughs) Well, we make an ass out of you and me. Yeah. And in this case, you'd, you'd make an ass. Right. So, Unless it's a service ass. I think service, service asses ass. are perfectly fine. <laughs> yes, service ass. And they don't even need an orange vest. Yeah. No, well, yeah. But it's a... So what's what's wrong with the uh, service vest? Well, it's just you haven't shown that it's it's necessary. To, I mean, just by the fact that you have the vest, right? So in, in this case, if, if you're talking about a disabling condition, then you still need something from a doctor saying, this is the animal, this is the diagnosis, this is this, you have to have something there to show that that's the animal that provides the comfort to make it legitimate. Right. The fact that you bought an orange vest off of eBay does not make it a service animal. Right. And your employer is still entitled to inquire whether or not you have a qualifying disability and how that animal helps accommodate your disability. That's right. So... But what about somebody – this is the thing that I find really interesting. Most employers are covered by Title III of the ADA, which, which applies to employment, but they're also covered by Title II of the ADA, and that's the part that covers public accommodations. So, for example, we're currently in a hotel room. This is both a place of public accommodation and an employer because I've – you know we heard the employees talking out in the hallway just a second ago. So – what should employers do if one of their patrons shows up with their service python wearing the very long orange vest that they purchased for it off of Flea Bay and wants to bring their service python into the hotel restaurant? I think so. If that's simply a public accommodation question, I think we're back to dogs and miniature horses right. as a starting point. 
and you can say that is this is neither a dog nor a horse and, and show we're them not the going to accommodate that good day sir right good day to you and your snake yes um but assume it is a horse and they want to enter the bar well, that gets in, in the public accommodation realm, right? It's a little bit of a different You can't exactly scenario. ask for a medical examination. Right. So I think then you simply go back to that question of reasonableness and the nature of the circumstances and the nature of your business and the level of disruption and hardship that it would cause to allow that, that service animal to be present for whatever transaction is happening. Right. So if and if you think it's a phony service animal, like you couldn't get a dog sitter, so now you're going to bring Bowser into the bar. You are entitled to ask one question. What service is that animal trained to provide for you? And if the, re- if the answer that's given seems reasonable on its face, you actually are supposed to allow the animal to come in if right. it doesn't otherwise cause a disruption right. or a hardship. But if they come, if they're like, uh, um, 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 I, he's friendly then no, they're not trained to perform a service. And that's, that's sort of the end of the story. Yeah, fair enough. I've got one more scenario to oh, touch on I, this before we end. Oh, I have one to, to send back to you too. Okay, you first. I've been okay. talking a lot. All right, so this is something that I've seen come up before. And it's I think it's one of the more fascinating areas of this discussion, which is somebody has a service dog and they want to bring that dog to work. And it turns out that the person who sits near them or several people that sit near them are allergic to dogs. And Which they, is the question I was going to ask you. Okay. So we're, we're so, back to the same one. So then you have, right, and let's assume that either they have an allergy or something that is medically diagnosed that could, you know, be a disability in some way. Or maybe it doesn't quite reach the level of disability, but would create a significant problem for them to be able to be in that space. Right. Who wins? The that person who a, needs the dog or the but, person who who objects because they can't be in the workspace if somebody else brings their dog in. Exactly. And I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. One, because it was the question I had for you. Um, so two birds, one stone. But two, yes. I have had that case. It is the one and only time that I have represented my mother. I never knew that. Have I never told you this story? I don't think you've ever told me so that story. So my mother used to be the chapter president of the Oregon Coast Quilt Guild, which is a collection <laughs> That just left of, me speechless. I'm just going to, I just sat there and, yeah. Yeah. That was worthy of a second or two of dead air. This is, this is a group of women, primarily in their 70s and 80s, who lived on the central Oregon coast, and they quilt. And they get together once a week, and they quilt together. And every now and then they will bring in quilts that they have made at home and show to the other blue hairs. And once a year, they put on a big quilt show. It's what they do. Okay. And they donate a lot of quilts to charity. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It's, it's all that Good stuff. Enough. So many years ago, a new member shows up. And they're always welcoming to new members. And they came, this new member, she came to the first meeting, fit in real well. She comes to the second meeting, and she comes with a cat in a carrier. And the cat howls constantly. And the people ask, why do you have this cat? And she explains, this is my surface cat. I need it. Then she proceeds to let the cat out of the carrier. 
thought you were going to say she let the cat out of the bag. No, it was, it was in I one of those plastic. I, I get it. I get the reference. So she lets the cat out of the car- carrier and it proceeds to sprint madly throughout the entire location where they meet. Climbing up on people's quilts, shedding all over the place, sharpening its claws on quilts, essentially being a train wreck. And everybody gets angry at this woman and tells her to put the damn cat back in the damn carrier. And she begrudgingly does so, and then the cat howls incessantly. So they asked her, please don't return with your cat. You are welcome, but your cat is persona non grata. And the woman says, no, it is my legal right to have my service cat with me wherever I go. There's a twist here. This is under Oregon law, and the public accommodations sphere under Oregon law is a little more vague on what constitutes one of the permissible breeds of service animals. So there's an argument made that a cat could be a public accommodation service animal. And we were viewing this as a public accommodations issue. This woman was threatening litigation if she was not allowed to return with her cat. So they let her come back for a couple more sessions. Oh, my. And the cat was driving everybody nuts. It would sit in this carrier and howl. And they wanted this woman gone. So my mom called me up and was like, Dennis, what should I do? And I talked her through the steps and we came up with a bit of a plan. And she called me back a week later and she goes, yeah, this just it's still not working out. And I'm like, well, what's going on now? Well, now we've got the, the cat lady. We also now have the cat allergy lady. Mm-hmm. Because there was another Quilt Guild member that said, look, I have very severe cat allergies. And if that cat is allowed to come near the Quilt Guild again, I'm going to sue. Because as an accommodation to my disabilities, I am insisting on a cat-free environment. So we took a look at it. We were like, law says you may have to accommodate the cat. Law says you may have to accommodate the allergic person. Who do you want to accommodate? If it's it's like a tie. (laughs) Yeah. It's like... If you had to be sued by somebody, who do you want it to be? Let's pick your lawsuits, which actually is something that we have to do in employment law and all kinds of law every now and then. It's like, look, you're going to run a risk no matter what. Choose the risk that you're more willing to accept, either because it's lower or because in this case, it is the right thing to do. Right. And in this case, the right thing to do was to tell the crazy cat lady to leave the cat at home. It's easier to make that decision, too, when, in this case, the cat is so disruptive. Oh, everybody hated that damn cat. That it really does fall under, potentially, that that undue hardship exactly. category. Right. Now, what? how does that change if the cat was perfectly fine and, and the nicest cat ever and not disruptive and didn't make noise and just sat there nicely – and then you shedding still have, dander all over the you place. You still have and Sally on the other side saying, "I'm, yeah. I, like, will break out in hives if the cat's around any longer." I think it makes it a more difficult situation, and I think then you have to look at: Are there alternatives for either of these people? Is there a way to separate them? Are there alternatives for the allergy person? Are there alternatives for the cat person? Like you have a duty under the law. All of them. You have a duty under the law to accommodate both of them. But the law doesn't say. Here is the tiebreaker. Or or what happens when the two accommodations, one of them is going to right? They, they just conflict. And somebody with a disability is going to end up on the short end of that stick one way or the other. Right. I think you have a pretty good defense to be able to say, I'm sorry that we couldn't accommodate your disability because we had to legally accommodate this other one. Therefore, it would not be reasonable to accommodate yours. 
But I have absolutely but, no magic bullet to tell you which no. one comes first. Sometimes you just don't have a good option. Yeah. I think Unless those are rare it's cases, a but sometimes, really annoying accommodation. Some, sometimes you're just going to have to take a risk on one side of that or the other. Yeah. And it, in that case, I unfortunately don't have anything better to say than it sucks to be you. Sucks to be you. That's all I got. Should we take a break? Yeah. Let's take a break. Come back. And we are back. Mark, you have something for us. Yeah, I got a quick, quick, fun story. Um, we are in the great state of Pennsylvania. And this is the, a story. The Keystone State, The Keystone right? State. You know what's called the Keystone State? No clue. Do you know what a Keystone is? No clue. Okay, so a Keystone in old stone bridges. The Keystone oh, is the one that's right in the middle. It often looks arch. like it has like a little bit of, of like a diamond shape. It's right at the top of the arch of the bridge. Oh, and okay. And it's the stone that really, from a structural standpoint, kept the bridge and the arch standing. Right. So if you take that metaphor and apply it to the 13 colonies, Pennsylvania was kind of right in the middle geographically. No kidding. And that's why Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State. I if I always, remember from my my early elementary school civics type classes. I always thought it was because the Keystone cops were from here. I, yeah, no, I don't. I don't that's think not that, it? That's not it. Oh. Sorry. Learn something new every day. So this is a story out of, out of one of my favorite town names in Pennsylvania, Moosic, PA. Moosic. M-O-O-S-I-C. It's up near Scranton. Wow. I'm just getting a blank look. <laughs> no you idea know, where Scranton is. You know, it's uh, northeast corner of the state. It's where okay. it's where the office and the office was based was oh, in Scranton, yeah, right? Okay. okay. So so this is actually an old case. It's five or six years old, and I'm just going off an article here. Uh, but this is a story about Pauline. She, at the time, was a 45-year-old worker at J&J Snack Foods in Musick. Um, she was a line inspector at the company. And she was contemplating gender reassignment surgery. Oh. So to test things out, she decided to wear a prosthetic penis to work. What is it with you with stories involving penises? Well, first, the one two in a row. The one from from our last episode was from a listener submission. And this is one I've been. I've been hanging on to for a while. There is such a thing as editorial <laughs> selection here, Mike. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a good story. All right. All right. So. So she wears some prosthetic junk to work. Yes. Um, and apparently she told one of the fe- her fellow line workers about this. It wasn't showing. It wasn't visible. It wasn't disruptive in any other way. She just happened to mention. She mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm wearing a. I got some. I'm wearing a fake. Fake gear. Fake gear. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes gossip is a little hard to keep under control. And (laughs) that being the nature of gossip. Hey, did you hear about Pauline? Right. And one of her confidants uh, mentioned this to management. And soon after hearing that news, uh, J&J just fired her. According to this article. What? So an interesting comment here is that she could not sue in her claim based on the fact that she's transgender or transsexual as that was not protected. Oh, so she's suing for 
gender discrimination based on being female because there are there were other male employees contemplating gender reassignment who were not fired for revealing the same information. Really? Yes. That's an interesting it's one. It's an interesting little dynamic to it. And I, I, unfortunately, I don't have more about this. That's as far as my information goes. But I thought that was an interesting way to try to bring about the claim, given that, you know, having, you know, a non-fluid gender in this case uh, was not something she could sue on. Because Pennsylvania is, is just simply does not recognize that. Correct. Now, my understanding. Now, this is from 2012. I don't know what it may have changed. What's happened in the meantime? And but certainly, there's been jurisprudence in Title VII that is going going in that a direction, different direction from which that. May or may not withstand a Supreme Court challenge. Right. But I'm curious. Did the employer give a reason for why they terminated Pauline? I'm looking through the uh, article here. Um, it does not appear that they talked. Like they didn't have a policy against, you know, artificial genitalia or anything like <laughs> not, that. Not that the article's talking about. It's, okay. it's so a we pretty small know. article. Um, I just thought it was an interesting legal claim for a five-minute discussion uh, and had an interesting kind of backstory to it and how, how she got there. I suspect that it would play out like a lot of other gender discrimination cases in the end, given the posture in which she brought it. But I don't know. So the... It would be discriminatory because you're treating male to female transgender individuals differently than you treat a female to male. It's it's interesting in that I have a hard time seeing how the employer is likely to view those two classes as inherently different. Right. And so that leaves me with the question of, of why. And I wonder what they said the reason was. And who knows? Maybe there's other parts of this where where – Maybe Pauline was a terrible line worker and maybe she'd been written up several times and was and fired for something else and there's a legitimate – we don't know. We right? don't. I mean how many times have you and I both been in a situation where a client of ours gets sued and on its face the complaint looks horrible oh, until yeah. you – but you actually know some stuff that the reporter or the complaint yeah. isn't talking right. about. You left out the part where the plaintiff came in and defecated on their manager's desk. Right. Like, who you know? knows what else is going on here? So I don't have that. But from a purely from a legal theory standpoint, I thought it was an interesting story. And it huh. happens to be in this state. And yeah. And it's cool. It's got penises in it. Very good. Even though they're fake. Fake penises. Fake penises. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. We'll be right back with a listener story. And now it's story time with Mark. Mark, so we're gonna tell us a story, maybe one that has fewer penises in it. That's a great setup. Since I just told you that I have another penis story, God damn, always with you, right? Well, let's hear. Well, it. we're just we're just continuing on a theme here. Um, and frankly, if you want fewer penis stories, when you submit your stories, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. <laughs> But I, you know, it's part of what happens at work. It is part of what happens at work. And, and I don't think there's going to be too many people who write in and are like too many dick stories. If you think that we have too many dick stories, send your um, criticisms to stories at hostileworkenvironment.com. <laughs> and when you do, please include a non-penis related tale of workplace right. woe give us that something. we can read on the air. Give us something to do instead. Yeah. Right? All right. We, we don't have any Vijay stories. 
We need more of those. Great. Uh, a little warning. This their does... owners tend to be a little more responsible with their genitalia. Right. The I mean, that's that's also part of why I think we get more penis stories. Yeah. Um, so there's a, uh, a trigger warning here. Yeah, just as though one, you need it now. There's one like not very flamboyant, but four letter word that what, is in the story. Dick, because we've used that like no eight times now. something something that you couldn't say on TV theoretically. Okay. The S word. There's an S word. All right. If I remember. <laughs> um, so uh, those of you who weren't, you know, at all offended by the word dick, but would be offended by shit, turn it off now. That's right. Um, <laughs> good job there. Um, hey, Mark and Dennis, huge fan of the podcast. Oh, I, thank you. I listened to it on my commute to and from work. I used to work in a medical facility until late last year. My previous boss was known to be cool. She put cool in quotes, quote Uh unquote, cool. And everyone pretty much loved her. Although we got along fine, I didn't think the way she managed certain cases brought up to her was correct. She definitely had her favorites who could do no wrong. We had an employee who was a complainer. She literally complained about everything. If it was too hot or too cold, if someone brought the smelly food in from the break room, she even complained about our vending machine, uh, raising soda prices up by five cents after being the same price over five years. Uh, One day she came in and complained about the manager in the department she worked for. Apparently he thought making uh, sexual jokes was funny and she found it offensive. Uh, (laughs) Imagine that. Our employee relations specialist brought this up, uh, brought it up to our boss who decided to talk to the manager herself since, and I quote, this is probably her making shit up. He isn't like that at all. (laughs) So she had the conversation. He admitted to the joke and she said not to do it again in front of her because she easily uh, offends. He did not get any formal warning we could attach to his file. It was just left at that. By the time I had left the organization, the same employee came back to my old coworker complaining about the same thing. She again brought it up to the boss who decided not to do anything about it because she was so sure this wasn't true. Months passed and the employee came back again with recordings. Oh. She had recorded the manager saying very harsh sexual jokes during work hours. Whoa. Our boss told the manager uh, what had happened, and he apologized and swore it was not to happen again. The next day, the employee came in crying. Apparently, after work, he walked up to her car and pulled down his pants, showing her he had an erection and said, I bet my huge dick doesn't defend you. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> there it is two episodes in a row we're ending with an erect penis oh god and that folks is why we have the jobs we do yeah uh she got into her car and left quickly my old boss still didn't do anything and the employee stopped complaining uh however the what? employee decided to sue the organization and our boss at her in her personal capacity and apparently has two witnesses who saw what had happened that day in the parking lot i will keep you posted Oh, please do. It's just uh, speechless again. Speechless again. I don't even know how to tackle this. It's just, or whether one needs to tackle this at all. Tackle the wedding tackle. I, I I was, you were just setting that up for me and I'm not knocking it down. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, um, it it wasn't a setup. (laughs) It was an honest, um, for, for, yeah, a yeah. pun. Anyway. Poor choice um, of words. Yes. 
What is with people's minds? I'm just, I'm, I'm, you're not like near your mic. I'm totally near my mic. You were like way over by your oh, bed. Sorry. It's people won't be able to here. hear you. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. We're on the floor in the hotel room. We're on the floor in the hotel room because we're in a hotel that doesn't have, you know, desks and chairs. So amazing. I never cease to be astounded by people's mental processes. Right. I mean, I love getting these stories where I read the first part. I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like it's going to be a lame story. It's yeah. kind of sound, And then I get to and the then, end. I'm like, oh, my God, not a lame story. And then big dick. Just right out in the open. Um, on that note. <laughs> on that note, um, thanks again for listening. And please check us out on Twitter at HWE Podcast. Send us your stories at stories at HWEpodcast.com. Check us out on Patreon. We've got Patreon-only content up there. It's where the really dirty stuff is at. Trust me. Yeah, not so much. Not not even but it's close. Fun. But it's fun, and it's um, yours for a measly dollar. Yeah, so www.patreon.com slash HWE. Help us out. Please. Join a very elite club mm-hmm. of hostiles. Yes. And check back in a week. We'll have a new episode up from maybe Pittsburgh, maybe not. We don't know. Yeah. Depends right. on how we're feeling. Bye. I have a personal announcement, though. Uh, I'm placing a personal bounty on the head of Tim McCracken. He's the coach and chief punk on that Syracuse team. A a bounty? Yeah. A hundred bucks of my own money for the first of my men that really nails that creep. Uh, That's eight o'clock at the War Memorial, the uh, Syracuse, and the all-new Charleston Chiefs. Thanks, Rich. Uh, Not to worry, kid.